on this month's episode of the Sound Rider Show, the motorcycle community starts to open up as the pandemic hopefully comes to a close. We have some sobering statistics in the state of Washington in regards to early motorcycle deaths, and we have a terrific interview with author and former Moto International frontman Dave Richardson. All that and so much more on this month's episode of the Sound Rider Show. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible by Skagit Power Sports. Check out the North Sound's largest selection of bikes from names like Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, and Suzuki. Located just off I-5 in Burlington, Skagit Power Sports also features a large selection of riding gear, apparel, and an experienced staff to help you along the way. Visit Skagit Power Sports today. Hi, this is Rich from Rich's Custom Motorcycle Seats, and welcome to the Soundwriter Show. Now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Motorcycle riders from across the Pacific Northwest and around the world this is the Sound Rider Show, the June show, which means that summer is officially here. Joining me today, as always, the lettuce, pickle, and onion to my all, two all-beef patties, Mr. Tom Marin. Wow. I, of course, self-appointed. I don't think I want to think about your two all-beef patties. <laughs> Editor at large, Mr. Derek Roberts. Tom, it is great to be joining you here remotely once again as we roll into June, but that doesn't mean that things aren't opening up and we aren't starting to see opportunities to go out and ride motorcycles. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at my Dark Sky app right now, and uh, wow, what's some crazy weather going on out here this morning. Yeah, you know, it is today as we record this, but uh, we have, uh, end of May, we had some really good weather. And as I'm looking forward to June, you know, of course, that's uh, prime time here in the Pacific Northwest. But that uh, doesn't mean that circumstances aren't still a little bit different than they have been in the past. We're starting to see some of the motorcycle shops, pretty much all of them now, getting back to opening up. Uh, different counties are in different phases here. What's your take? What are your plans for June as far as riding is concerned? Uh, well, I was going to ride out to uh, the office supply store and see if I could find a plexiglass screen to put between you and I for the July show. <laughs> I think we can uh, we can probably make that happen. I'm trying to think. Of course, I don't have a windshield on my bike. Do you? What, do you have anything that's got a windscreen right now? Well, yeah, I'll just take the windshield off of my scooter and we'll put it in between us up here in the in the uh, studio, and then we can be together. I think that that uh, sounds like a plan. And at the very least, if that doesn't work, we'll just do it in our helmets. Hey, now you're talking. <laughs> How am I going to cram this SM58 microphone in my helmet? That's what I'm well, wondering. It might be kind of a muffled show, but if we have to, we'll make it happen. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I will tell you what, though. I mean, uh, as we start to see restrictions here in Washington lift on uh, access to outdoor areas, I think uh, traffic for motorcycles is going to pick up, and surprisingly, the motorcycle shops I've been talking to have been reporting that uh, they've actually had pretty successful months, April and May. Sales seem to be pretty good. In fact, there's a, a run on used bikes. It seems like a lot of people are out buying used motorcycles. So wow. uh, I, I guess in some sense, that's good for the industry, right? I mean, certainly better than I had forecasted. Yeah, I wonder if there's more used bikes around right now, unless they're getting shipped over to Japan and wherever. That's always been an issue, you know. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I, I don't know. You know, I see uh, pretty much every other dealer that I go and uh, talk to or visit says, hey, man, we need used motorcycles. They're trying to uh, they're trying to get some in. And on the other end, new motorcycles, we're starting to see, as predicted, some crazy financing, zero uh, percent interest for 36 months. I think uh, BMW, I think even well, maybe BMW or some other brand is offering no payments for six months. A lot of a lot of manufacturers are doing that, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty wild to think that you can walk in and take a motorcycle home and not pay anything for the next for the next six months. I guess we'll see how that works out six months from now. But in the meantime, 
I remember uh, a, when I first got in the motorcycle industry, uh, the owner of the shop where I, where I worked for was really excited because uh, Honda was going to do a no, no, no campaign, which was uh, no down payment, no interest, and no payments for 12 months. Wow. Which is, I mean, that's just Which that's is incredible. the new reality again, I think. I was going to say, do you think we'll see that? Stra- I haven't seen anything for 12 months, but do you think that we'll see that this summer or maybe at the end of this summer when people try to, at the end of the season, get rid of uh, their new inventory? I'm not sure what the payment timing is, but I know Yamaha, I just saw the uh, information come in this morning. I didn't read through it, but there is a sort of a no, no, no campaign that's starting up June 1st. So gotcha. and Yamaha always has some good deals out there. That's true. Yeah, and I think we um, officially have a release date uh, in tw- for uh, the Tenere, the T seven hundred, which is supposed to be arriving shortly, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I know a lot of our listeners are excited about, and uh, I'm excited to take for a test ride. Uh, and speaking of uh, the T seven hundred and dual sport and beyond, let's get some rally updates, right? Because we're talking a little bit about things starting to open up, but uh, I know it's been hit and miss in event season, but there are still some things that are going to happen. So, uh, so the tour tech rally was canceled. This, this happened uh, during the month of May. So we hadn't talked about this yet. Uh, As badly as they wanted to have the Pendleton bike week, they will not be having that. Uh, The Hell's Canyon rally was canceled back in April. Uh, the BMW Washington State Rally was canceled. Uh, the Oregon one we knew was canceled. Uh, the National was canceled. Yeah, out in Montana, right? Out in Montana. And the only one that, that I know of that's still on the books is the Rally in the Gorge. And we don't have an answer for that until the first week of August. But uh, it's actually looking pretty good if we... If we hold it below a certain number of people. Well, the good news is, of course, being down at the, uh, the Hood River County uh, fairgrounds there. So we've got a lot of space to spread out. Um, we have had pretty excellent weather the last couple of years there as well. So we don't need to generally don't need to worry about people having to huddle together. And of course, I think we're going to see, you know, uh, by August in particular, uh, we should have a better lay of the land. Right. If we see any outbreaks pop up across the nation in the next couple of months, That'll be a different story, but hopefully things will continue on that positive trajectory and we can get out and enjoy uh, everything that the Columbia River Gorge has to offer in August. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. And uh, just last weekend, we're recording this on the Saturday before the 1st of June. So on the third weekend, actually it was the fourth weekend of, uh, of May, uh, Skamania County opened up and people were driving down and dining in the restaurants and doing uh, recreational things down there. So that's going to be interesting to see if we'd see any uptick in cases, uh, which would occur among the people in the hospitality industry, sure. whether it be servers at restaurants or people at hotels or whatever. And uh, so I'm kind of watching Skamania right now to see what happens with them. Yeah, that'll certainly be uh, an interesting case study. And um, you know, here in Washington, too, we're seeing – as the governor laid out sort of this four-phase opening program, we have all sorts of different regulations from county to county. They're applying for uh, specifics as far as when they can open up. You know, a lot of this applies to the hospitality industry, restaurants and, um, and hotels and that kind of thing, which is a, a big interest to touring motorcyclists like ourselves. So just make sure you're doing that research, right, and uh, probably planning your stays in advance. If you're going to go out and ride, you want to check with, forest service to see if campgrounds are open you'll want to check with whatever town you plan to grab a hotel in to make sure that you don't get caught uh, stranded and you need to figure out where you want to dine and if uh if that place is open you may need to make some reservations in advance uh maybe not everything is open so you may end up eating at some gas stations once in a while or outside of a grocery store or whatever um, but you're not just going to be able to waltz into every single restaurant right now and get a, t- get a seat. Yes, that's true. A lot of places are requiring some sort of advanced registration or are on limited operating hours. So God forbid you ride all day and you think that you're going to be able to grab a burger at eight o'clock only to find that, uh, 
they close at six. Right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And interesting, uh, Connie and I had a little trip planned over to Island County and we were going to do it on a Thursday night and decided to change it to a Saturday night. So I canceled the Thursday night reservation and rebooked for Saturday. And wouldn't you know it, it's uh, $20 less. So there's some good deals out there. (laughs) That's a little surprising. You'd think that with uh, less uh, rooms being sold that they'd be charging more, but I guess they need to try to attract people too, huh? Yeah. I think that's, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of that supply demand issue. You're going to have to deal with the money thing in there. And I think right now that is, uh, <laughs> you've got way more supply than demand. So, yeah, for sure. Well, as we uh, are recording the June episode here, this was also um, going to be the time originally that we were going to run the Soundwriter road trip tour, right? And now we've got to uh, kind of reevaluate that. So, we are looking at either a mid July date, which we'll know by the end of next week. Or we'll go to a September date. And so uh, that's kind of information we'll be posting up on our Facebook feed. Which, yeah, is always good to watch for, for the latest updates there. And, and, and uh, you don't have to have Facebook. You can read it on News Bites on Soundwriter because it all pipes in right there. That's right. Soundwriter.com slash News Bites. Bites with a Y, as we always like to say. And uh, you really can't go wrong. July or September in the Cascades, you know, whenever that opens up, um, it's going to be beautiful touring, so uh, just keep your ear to the ground. And if you're thinking about joining Soundwriter on that, uh, know that there are still plans to make it happen. Yep, yep. And uh, Cafe to Cafe is open, running. You can you don't have to eat at the restaurant if you don't want to, but the uh, the event continues on, and we have had people out riding and taking pictures and that sort of thing. So. Well, how about just uh, as we as we kind of close out the opening segment here? I'm curious, you know, because I know you've uh, last year, you know, you got into a situation where you had to do a little uh, physical therapy for a shoulder injury. Are you starting to get back on the bike now as the weather changes? Are you starting to get out on those uh, some of those short rides this uh, this time of the year? Not only am I riding, but I'm doing my uh, maintenance too. So oh, I've got, got enough yeah. cranking that left arm to turn a torque wrench. That's great, yeah, because it's uh, it's definitely it, maintenance season was uh, was full on these last couple of months, right? You shouldn't have any excuses not to have. No, I got uh, I put new tires on the uh, NC seven hundred X, and uh, I, I removed them myself. Took them over to the shop, had them put the rubber on, and then I brought them back and reconnected them all. Hope I did it right. Uh, it worked pretty good during the test ride, so I'll be doing some more riding later on in the, in the following week. And then uh, the scooter, the only thing it needed right now was a new battery, and I've got that up here. I'm ready to put that in. So, yeah, I'm back on the bikes. Yeah, it'll be nice uh, when you be able to take that scooter out for a little uh, Saturday morning breakfast ride again around here, right? Uh, yeah, well, I'm just going to take an afternoon ride here and head on up to uh, Tulalip area this coming week. So... Probably won't do any any eating there, but yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to get out on some uh, some some food rides. Yeah, well, you're gonna be hitting the casino when you go up there, sitting behind plexiglass playing uh, blackjack like we see in so many places. Oh yeah, with with all the ladies smoking and sucking on their oxygen tanks, and yeah, it's all gonna be good. You got uh, a cigarette sticking out of the corner of your mouth, and then on the other corner, uh, or the corner of your mask, rather, and then on the other corner, you've got your oxygen tank plugged in, right? You're ready. Oh my go. God! I hope I hope nobody catches their mask on fire with a cigarette. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's dangerous times. And out then there, the casino burns down. That'll be really bad. That <laughs> that would be a national <laughs> tragedy here in the uh, Pacific Northwest, certainly. So. But it's that time, you know, it's a, hey, we need to, we need to start getting out there again. And, uh, it's, you know, no better time than now to do it safely and responsibly and to enjoy motorcycling. I mean, this is, this is the time of year that we all live in the Pacific Northwest for. So let's not let it, uh, pass us by. Yep. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about in the news bite segment. Support for the Soundwriter show is provided in part by. Valentine Motorworks, Seattle's independent service shop specializing in BMW motorcycles and beyond. Call or visit them to discuss your next service or restoration project soon. Find them online at valentinemotorworks.com. Hi, my name is Butch. I ride a 2013 uh, R1200R Roadster. 
BMW, and my favorite ride is over Highway 20 and into Republic for their uh, annual rally. Hi, this is Eric from Bell Helmets, and you're listening to the Sound Riders Show. studio virtual studio here on the sound rider show and of course we're going to jump into news bites and even though much of the country has been in sort of a stasis here for the last couple of weeks there's still a lot happening that needs to be addressed in the motorcycle community uh starting off with uh, kind of some unfortunate and a little bit surprising numbers yeah so we've had uh, 24 motorcycling deaths here in washington uh this year alone and it's only June, uh, which is shocking because that's I mean, that is that seems to me to be several percentage points uh, ahead of the ahead of the curve here. Yeah, we haven't had this much activity like that since 2006. And, you know, back in 2006, a million people own were buying motorcycles or we were selling a million motorcycles a year in the country. And now we're right. selling maybe 500,000 at best. So with and, half the amount of sales, we're having the same amount of deaths as we had when we were at a high spot. And, and not to mention, we have been uh, you know, in sort of the shutdown mode here for spring. So I know a lot of riders have voluntarily uh, bypassed even going for a ride. And just to, I, mean, I think that's contributed, right? Isn't that sort of what they're hypothesizing is the correlation is that open roads has led to some more reckless behavior for some drivers and riders that have been out there. Yep, higher speed and uh, uh, less uh, <laughs> ability to ride right. Less, re- yeah, less regard for uh, for personal safety. And do, what is it in Washington on average? It seems like for the last couple of years, total for the year, don't we see somewhere between like sixty five and seventy three deaths usually on yeah. motorcycles? Yep. And so to, to consider that. We are just at the opening of really the riding season here. Um, this is a trend that we hope will will quell itself. So you know, gear up, take it easy when you get back into it. Don't uh, don't ride intoxicated, of course, and uh, try to ride ride your ride, ride within your limits. Yeah. So during the uh, lockdown, um, the Oregon Central Oregon, say, let's just say the tourist group. Uh, released a series of videos. They're actually coming out right now. They've put out four so far. They're called Adventure Calls, and they focus on the central Oregon area, and you get to learn a lot of cool things about the area. I've really enjoyed watching the series. So uh, last night I was into episode four, and wouldn't you know it, Spoken Moto, the coffee shop down in Bend, Oregon, was featured in the episode. Um. There's also they also feature Moto Corsa. They feature Pro Caliber Motorsports. So uh, it's kind of a fun series for people to watch if you like riding in the Pacific Northwest, and I do. And I really like learning a little bit more every time I can. Uh, this is a cool series. Yeah, I got to tell you, this is the first that uh, I have heard of it. But uh, I am googling it as we speak because uh, you're right. Central Oregon, of course, Bend being the hub of that, which is kind of a a hidden motorcycle gem just for the industry at large. There's so many great things going on down there. And if you're looking for a, a good excuse to take a long trip for a cup of coffee, why not go to spoken motor <laughs> coffee themed motorcycle shop in Bend, Oregon, right? Yeah. We got to get that article up about all the coffee shops around the Pacific Northwest. Definitely. Yeah. You know, we're seeing, uh, uh the new here in Seattle. Um, well, I don't know what the latest status is, I guess with, the, with the shutdown, but we hope that, the new Wick location will be back up and running here soon. And also the uh, Revival Coffee um, down in Olympia, which opened up uh, at the end of last year, I think, is another coffee-themed moto shop right here in Washington. So, you know, you, you we were recently having a conversation with somebody about what's where, where the community is now for motorcyclists and how shops are not really uh, 
creating community. And isn't it interesting that coffee is becoming the motorcycle community of choice? When you have like the Wick and the Spoken Moto and the one down in Portland and the one down in Olympia now, uh, it seems like people are going to be congregating more to coffee shops than going to the dealer where they used to like to go and hang out. Yeah, it is a, uh, it's kind of an interesting trend. You're right that we have seen come about. And I got to say, I'm actually, I enjoy it. You know, I like uh, just going with uh, friends or by myself to a coffee shop anyway. So if you have some sort of motorcycle connection, um, I think that's great, you know, and we don't always need, you know, historically there has been, I don't know if pressure is the right word necessarily, but there had been some correlation or some connection between bike nights and, and drinking. And, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not an alcohol guy in general, but I certainly don't want to do it when I'm on my motorcycle. So if I can go and get jazzed up on a uh, <laughs> nice espresso up or, on caffeine, huh? yeah, or caffeine, I find that to be a much, <laughs> much more intriguing alternative. So I think, I think we're going to see that a lot more. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of dealers over the years try to incorporate that into their storefront. And I think also we're just going to see, you know, individual used bike motorcycle shops go, hey, we've got some extra square footage. Let's throw in a few tables and chairs and an espresso machine and, uh, you know, make our service tech uh, learn how to make a uh, cappuccino. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, well, we'll just have to see where that continues to go. Um, so uh, uh, on, the, on the News Bites feed, anybody who's interested, they can go there and see a link to ghostgadget.com which put up a little sort of a history <laughs> it's not it's it's a very mini history of the Skagit area but one of the things they put up was a photograph of a guy who was a mail carrier 100 years ago and was delivering the mail on a horse and uh the the photo they put up was him with his new motorcycle and he was transitioning doing the mail carrier service from the horse to the motorcycle <laughs> and it was kind of cool and yeah, you know the, the the dealers always like to uh put up a picture of their customer when they get a new bike. Hey, you know, congratulations to Fred on his new Ducati, blah blah blah. Yeah. And so I I had to put it up and say congratulations to Ed on his new motorcycle. <laughs> I saw that of course come across the uh the Facebook feed and I got a good laugh out of that. But you know, I that era, the dawning of uh motorcycles into everyday life is still it's such a treasure trove of uh, old pictures. They are, they're a lot of fun to look at. And uh, as we remind riders over and over again, uh, you know, people have been riding around the world and riding motorcycles for over a hundred years now. So it's not nearly about uh, as much about the bike you ride. It's just having one and having a good time. Yeah. And I know, you know, we put up that article some, I don't know, about four or five years ago, we, we uh, recreated and put the link to the article of, the tornado that occurred out on the Olympic Peninsula. And uh, that picture of Frank Richardson Pierce's sidecar up next to those giant trees that blew over, is, it just stuck in my mind, you know. It's just beautiful stuff. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, what else is happening? SW Motec, popular company out of the UK for luggage. Primarily, they've been selling everything through... Twisted Throttle, is now opening up a U.S. office in Portland. And uh, a woman who whose list is way too long for me to run through it, Sarah Schilke, she will be heading up that office in Oregon, but she has a long background in motorsports industry. Yeah, you know, it's crazy that uh, when you start to take stock of you know, the relative population in the Pacific Northwest and the number of motorcycle-related businesses, um, it's really astonishing. I mean, other than Southern California, is there any area that's more populated, do you think? With motorcyclists? Um, well, with, with, these, with motorcycle businesses, you know? I mean, you think oh, about yeah. just Oregon on its own, right? Now that you've got Southwest Mototech, you've got uh, Giant Loop, Racer Gloves. Uh, I know I'm missing a ton up here, though. You've got Cyclops Light, you've got Alt Rider, two Happy I mean, Trails. Just, yeah, the list goes on. It seems like. Yeah. Well, isn't there like a hundred businesses in Wyoming? Oh no, I guess not. 
<laughs> Are there a hundred people in Wyoming? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I don't mind. More the more the merrier. We'll we'll have to talk to Sarah and see if we get her involved with the rally in the gorge. Yeah, I think that's a uh, that's a great idea. Remember, we got Icon um, Motorsports down there too in Portland. That absolutely, yeah. That's a long I mean, there's list. there's just yeah, there's so many uh, so many great companies to choose from. Moscow Moto, another one here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, but while we gain a uh, an office in Oregon, another motorcycle business, a bit of sad news: we lose. Kind of one of our uh, preservers of motorsports history with the Oregon World of Speed Museum closing permanently. That broke my heart. I, I hadn't had a chance to go to it yet. And that's on my list of places to go. Now it's going to be gone. Uh, the yeah. only good news is that because they were a 501c3, all the artifacts that they had will go to other 501c3s now. That is good. Yeah. We're, well, I'm happy to see that that will be uh, at least transitioning to to preserving some of the collection there. You know, I got to be honest, I'm, I was never really familiar with it. And when I saw this come across the newswire and I started investigating, I had like the sense of remorse that I never um, had the chance to get down there and check it out because it seemed like it seems like a really great museum. Yeah, I, I had seen, uh, you know, the listings of the different displays along the way come up. And every once in a while, there was a motorcycle display in there. And I just never was in the right place with with the, with the right time to uh, go and check it out. But anyways. Well, this is, you know, museum related, not specifically to the Oregon World of Speed Museum. But what was the, um, out in eastern Oregon? What was the brand museum that they were working on in some small town? You remember? Hodaka. Uh, yeah. What did, do you know? Have you heard anything about that since? Well, I know I bought a brick for Soundwriter in the sidewalk <laughs> out front, but I haven't heard anything about an opening yet. Uh, okay. I, I do go by there every once in a while when I'm out in the area. I was out there last year, and I look into windows, and they are doing stuff in there, but it's slow because uh, it's going to take you know private investment money from people who donate, basically, to make it happen. What town is this in again? Do you remember? Oh, now you're getting me. Uh, it's, starts, a, it's a very, it's like a dot on the map, right? It starts with an H. It's like, it's like helium or something. I, I, you got me. I can't, I, I have to grab my atlas. I gotcha. I wonder. But uh, it's out uh, east of Pendleton. Is it uh, Athena, Oregon? Athena, that's it. Okay. And then there's, there's a little, there. little city out to the west of that called Helios, I think. That's where the H is coming up in my brain. But, yeah, it's Athena. Okay. Yeah, well, I hope that uh, they continue to make progress on that because that would be – that's just another, you know, one of those, hey, we need a place to ride sort of things, right, that would make for a nice little two- or three-day trip, do a little camping along the way, and take your picture in front of the Sound Rider brick at the uh, Hodaka Museum. There you go. But, you know, uh, they have the Hodaka Days there every year. They won't be having it this year, but um, but they do have it out there in Athena, so – uh, even if they don't get the museum open, if you can schedule time around Hodaka days and you go down for their little rally that they have, and you'll see lots of vintage Hodakas. So I'm looking right now at the map here, west of Athena. We've got uh, Holdman, Hermiston, Hinkle. There's a lot of see, H cities I, I told here. you, H, see? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a little uh, like an like a intersection, like the crossroads. I don't remember what it is. Yeah, that looks like it might be Hermiston, but uh, and the I Holdman like... uh, Holdman has that crazy little car shop out there. Oh, does it really? Holdman mm-hmm. barely even shows up on the uh, on the map here, just along the Pendleton Cold Springs Highway. That, yeah, so a guy like has a, a really large uh, garage, and they do uh, a lot of restorations on primarily what I see when I go in there is muscle cars. I tell you what, you tell me what other motorcycle podcasts you can get this kind of detailed information because I'll call you a liar if you have another one that's not the Sound Rider show. I could keep you on the road all summer <laughs> long. Speaking of which, if you go to store.soundrider.com, you can pick up some of uh, the guidebooks that we have well, on offer go. there that will take you through a lot of these areas. So. There you go. Hey, but uh, okay, so we just talked about a, uh, a deceased museum. Now we have a resurrection to talk about. Uh, that's right. And that's uh, BMW Motorcycles of Seattle, formerly known as Ride West Motorcycles, is being resurrected on Lake City Way out in the Lake City area. 
Uh, I know the building well because I had to take my cat there several times when it was a 24-hour vet hospital. So it's where well, the Blue Pearl was. I, I tell you what, I am uh, ecstatic to see that uh, this will be reopening here. And I think this month in June, right, they're scheduled to uh, to be opening, if, I am, uh, if I'm correct on my sources. Yeah, they were and, looking uh, for a June 1 opening. Fantastic, yeah. And uh, look, Seattle needs this. We have a ton of BMW riders here. Uh, Ride West has a uh, – still that name uh, carries – a lot of weight in the region and throughout the BMW community, even though it hasn't been ride West for years, but we, this is great. You know, another motorcycle shop in the uh, city of Seattle. Um, I'm ecstatic to see it. I think, uh, I, I certainly wish them well. And, uh, I hope that this is a big success. Yep. That's what we all hope for. Yep. And I hope they, uh, I hope they bring back some of the, uh, people that they would have come in and do slideshows and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the great, uh, calls of ride west is that they had so many unique and uh, interesting events right a lot of reasons to get out and visit the dealer yep uh and speaking of uh, bmw uh i bumped into a really cool electric bmw electric sidecar concept online so, so tell me about this because i haven't seen it yet so this is uh published in ride apart and uh it's a student thing so it's a third party who came up with the concept uh, you may or may not know, but a lot of times uh, manufacturers will go to art design schools and they will ask the class to create a design for a future vehicle. And then uh, sometimes they'll, you know, shoot them some money, direct to the student or give it to the school or whatever. So uh, this is a, a student who has come up with a pretty cool design on electric sidecar based on the BMW electric motorcycle that they're talking about coming out with. So I just, uh, as we're talking here, I just pulled up the article on Ride Apart, and I'm looking at it. And yeah, kudos to the, uh, who I assume is a, a rather young individual, design student Lago Balino. There you go. Uh, created a really kind of a stellar design. I, I'd be interested, although it looks like the battery is held in the motorcycle itself. I wonder if there's any secondary power um, in the uh, in the sidecar here, it's got kind of a low profile, but yeah, I put the battery put, put another battery in the sidecar for ballast. He doesn't know about that. Yeah, make the whole thing a battery, right? So that way, maybe you can ride over seventy five miles. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, BMW sidecar at the hundred mile range, it only weighs twelve hundred pounds, right? Twelve thousand. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get you. That's the 120 mile version. Yeah, it's a six ton electric sidecar. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty cool <laughs> design, though. Definitely worth uh, definitely worth taking a look at. Uh, speaking of other new things, uh, Yamaha has dropped the T Max scooter for 2020, and that was a 500 cc scooter, and now they're coming with the X Max, which is a officially 292 cc scooter. And I think it's actually kind of cool because I know I've ridden a 300cc uh, Kimco downtown scooter. Sure. And that had plenty of umph. I could go 80 miles an hour down the freeway. Uh, it was super lightweight. It was a lot of fun in the corners. It was better than when I used to own a Honda Helix. And uh, I, I think they're hitting a nail on the head. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at it right now again with the uh, power of Google here, and it looks like a nice scooter, but i got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm continually baffled by the over 50cc scooter market. I, uh, I, I understand internationally that these hold uh, a lot of appeal, but I, don't, I really I don't know how they make it in the United States, but I'm glad they do. I just uh, I can't make heads or tails of it, but that's just me, just a humble commentator here. Oh, you're just like everybody else. <laughs> well, what do we was it? Was it last month's episode or the month before? We were talking about the uh, Honda ADV scooter, and I that didn't make sense to me either. See, but, yeah, uh, I think that one that that one's not going to hit it on the highway. It's not going to hit highway speeds. This one is, and there's no such thing as an ADV scooter. You're not going to take a scooter off road and bang the heck out of it. ADV apparently is a state of mind. Knobby tires and the state of mind is uh, ADV. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it looks like a nice motorcycle. I just, I don't think, uh, 
I mean, I guess if you want the automatic, tra- I don't know. You, we'll you don't that. know. You don't know what it's like until you ride one. And you know, I, you know like, we were saying this on the ADV scooter that if you're an older guy, it's a lot easier to get on a step-through bike as long as your ego will allow you to. Sure. Well, listen. Uh, outside of looks, ego is the second most important thing to me in motorcycling. So I'm I got a long <laughs> way to go before I can <laughs> I can hop on one of these. Yeah, no disrespect. You, listen. It's fun. I get it. I, I understand. If, if, if this is what it takes for you to get on two wheels and to enjoy yourself, uh, you have my blessing. I know everyone was uh, clamoring for it. So there you go. But uh, Well, it sounds like you and I are going to need to go to Yamaha dealer soon because uh, you're going to need to test ride a Tenere, and I'm going to yeah. need to test ride the X-Max. There you go. Yeah, we'll do the, uh, the Tenere X-Max comparison video. Yeah, yeah, Tenere <laughs> versus X Max shootout. There you go. That's right, and we'll we'll use some clickbaity title like "You won't believe what happens." You right? won't believe yeah. what I yeah. did on the X Max. You won't believe how I left Derek in the dust on the back roads of Snohomish. That's right, on the backwards on the back roads of uh, the non-identified Helios, Oregon, somewhere west of Athena. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, while everybody's been suffering through the COVID-19 lockdown, uh, Alpenstars has been busy putting together a new line for 2020. And uh, I've seen some of the new product, the jacket, the new gloves, uh, even the riding shoes. Um, and they're looking really nice. So look for that stuff as you're out shopping this summer. Yeah, definitely. You know, Alpenstars they do a they do a nice job on uh, on their gear. I'm a fan. I own a pair of Alpenstars uh, riding boots, and um, I believe uh, our friends down at Saddle Cycle Center carry Alpenstars. So if you want to go get something in, in the local area, you can go and visit them. They do, and you know, it's a it's a new era, folks. Um, you may not see the stuff on the shelf. You may have to ask them to special order it for you. Very and true, if you but don't again, like it, you know, you may be able to return it. Yeah, but it's always worth the uh, worth the time to go down there and ask. And hey, if you're going to be getting uh, you know some spark plugs or some engine oil anyway, just uh, take a quick look and flash your phone to Ryan behind the counter there and say, "Hey, can you order this for me?" Or what's the deal? And he'll give you the de- the details. Yep, yep. Uh, all right. Well, since so many of us are getting back on bikes now, uh, we do have a link on the News Bites feed uh, for MSF tips. Uh, kind of like getting back on the road type of tips and uh, just stuff to be thinking about. You know, it's one thing to get on the motorcycle and start riding again, but you got to start doing that ride with the plan thing and remember to start focusing on where you're going to turn in the apex and and what you're going to do in terms of braking. All these things are important, and you got to keep thinking about them over and over again. So you could kind of use that article as a launch. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And also, at some point during this pandemic shutdown, uh, MSF released a ton of uh, rider education content for people to access it uh, for free. Much of it is uh, is great. Uh, they also have a very nice detailed uh, T-Clocks checklist that you can download for free in PDF version. Um, so lots of good stuff uh, on the MSF website. Definitely you know, even if you've been out riding, you know, in your neighborhood or whatever, it's good just to review all that stuff. Like you said, you know, apex turn, you know, where the apex is in the turn, how to uh, handle yourself uh, appropriately um, for quick stops and that kind of thing. Just so much content to review that is, is good to have top of mind. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, uh, again, this month we're going to forego the calendar section. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be events going on this month. It's just that it's still a little too early for us to know at the point where we are recording. Uh, first week of June, I will update the calendar. I will note what's been canceled. I will note what's getting rescheduled. And uh, I will note what is actually going to happen. So of course, keep an eye we- there. And, of course, you can bank on July 1st, uh, another Sound Rider show. So you put that on your calendar. Absolutely. Um, And in the meantime, we have a special interview today with Dave Richardson, who was the former frontman, part owner of Moto International. And he he was so bored, instead of writing one book, he wrote two. (laughs) So uh, Dave has two new books out, and we are going to be back with a two-part interview right after this. 
Support for SoundWriter and The SoundWriter Show is made possible by... The Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, The Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundrider.com rally. Hey, this is Gary LaPlante from Dirt First, motorcycle rider training. And I must say, I really am enjoying the roads that you guys have here in Oregon between Portland and Hood River and around the event site at the Sound Rider Rally. Hi, this is Brian Bosworth from Destination Highways, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. on the Soundwriter Show, and the thunderstorms just keep on rolling through Seattle. But uh, right now, I've got uh, Derek downtown, and I've got our special guest, Dave Richardson, up north on the Tulalip Reservation. So uh, Dave has a new book out, and Derek's going to talk with Dave all about that. Well, it may be uh, thunderstorms and rainy as we record this, but it's always sunny with uh, Dave Richardson. Dave, thanks for joining us again. Second appearance here on the Sound Rider Show. How are you this morning? Well, pretty good. It's been a while since we've talked, I know. Yeah, it certainly has, but I tell you, I feel like I know you better now than ever. I've been reading uh, your two books um, over the past couple of weeks here, and uh, I got to tell you, man, for anybody interested in the history of of course, Moto Guzzi in general, but more specifically for us here on the Sound Rider Show, the Seattle motorcycle scene, your first book in particular, it almost reads like an anthology. I was just blown away by the connections and the history that still lives on here today. Well, it was certainly one of my goals. I wanted to kind of tell the story of Seattle and the motorcycling and the evolution of the shops from the old crusty guys who had the shops and they're all named after them, the Bud Shots and the Tom Hineses and the Pokes and the Deweys and all that, and how it's evolved into more of the corporate stores now. And, uh, you know, and then it's, it's, a, it's my involvement in motorcycles personally. And then, and then plus um, 34 years of, of uh, working in and running motorcycle shops. It's certainly not a subject that's been covered before in any book that I know of, but uh you know, who's to say that it's not of interest to some people, I guess. I mean, my one of my feelings was that uh, uh, as, as a kid growing up, I always wanted to either work for a motorcycle magazine or work in a motorcycle shop. And I thought, well, there's probably a lot of other people that always thought, boy, it must be great to work in a motorcycle shop. So I thought, okay, let me, let me tell you what it's all about. Well, and that certainly comes through, you know, that is, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. I consider myself in, uh, in both of those categories. And that's one thing that really stood out to me that I found to be, uh, particularly interesting about sort of the theme was just the trials and tribulations of, of owning a motorcycle shop. Of course, there's a lot of reward in it, but the reward, uh, sometimes it seems to live mostly in your head. Well, sure. And it, it's also, something that's not necessarily just about motorcycle shops. It's just any small business, I would imagine. Very true. No, I think that's an excellent point. And I think that uh, Tom can probably uh, comment on that a little bit too. Just, uh, you know, 20 years with Sound Rider. I'm sure that there yeah. are some similarities. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, Dave Richardson and I actually have a little trivia that some people don't know between us. And, and I don't know if Dave ever put this together, but I had a career in the music industry. And before Dave worked in motorcycles, he worked at a music store and sold guitar strings to Kurt Cobain. And uh, and Randy McAllister at uh, Aurora Suzuki was one of my customers about the same time that I was buying my first motorcycle there in 1969. Oh, yeah. So, so anyways, there's a trivia moment. Yeah, you guys have a similar lineage in uh, <laughs> pursuing passion projects that may not make you billionaires, but at least you get to play with the toys you like all day, right? Well, yeah, and it, I always saw the similarity because um, I realized working at Kennelly Keys Music when I was a kid, 
that it was there was a problem with it being a hobby business that the people who were running it were musicians not businessmen and in the motorcycle industry we had a lot of that trouble too that we're all motorcycle guys and you know we didn't want to dig in and look at the financials and figure them out and all that kind of thing well i think that's something yeah absolutely you know you're right it's hard to separate that that passion from that that business acumen but on that note i kind of i want to get your take a little bit i mean your history in motorcycles obviously starts as a young man but even in the business you know back into what the 80s and then i believe moto international here in seattle was what 1992 if i recall right. correctly from mm-hmm. the book right and what what are some of the changes i mean what is your sort of state of the nation today when you look at the motorcycle scene compared to previous decades wow um well like i say <laughs> there's, there's yeah. only the one answer a Dave. bunch of uh yeah <laughs> um the shops were mostly named after the irascible character that ran it and uh, you know i can remember going into the building that became Moto International at 77th and Aurora when it was the BMW Center, and Fred Turbeck ran it, and uh, we would go in to look at the awesome BMW motorcycles, and we knew we only had you know, precious moments to do it because in our minds, he seemed to think that all of his customers were doctors and lawyers, and, and when he saw us, he'd go, hey, you kids, get out of here, you know, so... <laughs> There's certainly a little different uh, friendliness that has to come about over time. Um, from there, it went to what I call more corporate stores, where stores were no longer named after individuals. And now it seems like the naming thing is um, more or less dictated by the manufacturers. You've got Ducati Seattle, Triumph Seattle, uh, Aprilia Motoguzzi of Portland, uh, Vespa Seattle, and what bothers me about that is that in my mind, a motorcycle shop was an individual business that included franchises and we had our own, own personalities and what we did and what we represented. And the, the attitude now seems to be that you are almost like a McDonald's. You are a franchise and we're going to dictate a name that makes it sound like you're just a location for us. And, and you're going to have our interior so that all our stores look the same and, and so I, th- I think the individuality is, is being lost in it. You know, and beyond that, the, the motorcycle industry has had two big turn, uh, downturns, and we're sort of in a third one now. The first was right when I started at the, in the business in 1983. There was a huge downturn of the motorcycle industry. I think in the, in the decade of the 80s, Honda lost something like a quarter of their U.S. dealerships. Wow. And then, of course, we had the downturn of two, started in 2008 with the Depression. And from that point on, the world changed. I remember Randy McAllister at uh, Aurora Suzuki telling me that two of his biggest markets were motocrossers and 600cc sport bikes. And those two markets virtually evaporated after that Depression. Very true. And then we have this latest one, and it's the hardest one to understand because it's not exactly an economic reason. I'm talking before viruses hit. Um, this was just starting in about 2016, 2017. Um, business just just turned down to a great degree. And we saw, uh, you know, the huge rash of stores locally and nationwide that uh, went out of business. And uh, it seemed like, uh, young people weren't interested in motorcycles anymore. Um, I know that somebody I knew in the industry was kind of hired by the motorcycle industry and the Motorcycle Industry Council to do a study on exactly why the motorcycle business was, was doing so bad. And I know at, at one point I talked to this fellow, Robert Pandia, and I said to him, Robert, you know, as we're trying to figure out why young people don't buy motorcycles, do we even know if young people ride bicycles anymore? You know, we have a whole generation that kind of grew up on social media and, and, and whatnot and in video games. And is this even an interest to them to be running around balancing themselves all the time? So I don't really know what's happening with the industry now because I've been out of it since uh, 2017. But it certainly was a, a feeling then that it was uh, contracting terribly. And I will have to say this, 2017, 2018 were bad. And it seems like 2019 is in some ways getting a little better. I've talked to a couple of shops uh, locally that are really flourishing right now. So it's good to hear. 
Oh, I totally agree with you there. I, you know, one thing too that uh, is kind of a recurring theme. Um, it seems like throughout your years dealing with you know Moto, Moto Guzzi and uh, Aprilia, I guess the Piaggio group is, uh, you know, coming up with suggestions that work and uh, giving that feedback back to the manufacturers only to be dismissed is that uh you know when when you talk about working with like the the motorcycle industry council and you know these research projects are are these are the big players in your mind are they taking advice uh to heart or are they just kind of doing the legwork of collecting the advice and not implementing it well i don't even think that they try to collect it um i i had this strange thing in my mind that the manufacturers and the U.S. distributors would want to hear from me. And what I was trying to tell them wasn't that I'm some brilliant guy. It was just that I hear what customers want, and I try to pass that on. And I spent a lot of time at it. In, in the book, you, I'm sure you saw, I mean, there's, oh, six or eight times over the years where I'd sent major reports to the manufacturers. And these were 20, 30, 40, 50. I think the biggest one was 58 pages. Wow. And and I... uh uh, I, I rarely did I get any replies at all, even an acknowledgement that I'd sent it, um, questions, anything back. I mean, I, I even went to the point that at one one time we're coming up on a dealer meeting, and I knew there'd be people there from Italy, and I thought, well, if I'm not getting responses from the U.S. distributors, why don't I try going to the Italians? And I thought, well, they're going to be speaking English as a second language. It may not be as easy for them to, to read it and all that. So I actually took one of my reports and, and made it into a DVD. I, I filmed myself on my computer. I probably spent 100 hours on this project. And then I had the concierge at the hotel pass my DVDs out to each of the Italians' rooms while we were all in a big uh, uh, banquet at the end of the, the meeting. And, you know, did all these things just trying to get, you know, I felt like Michael Moore when he's chasing uh, Roger, Roger and me of, of the GM CEO. Sure. Tr- trying to get somewhere with him. And I, I think the reason I did this when I, I look back and say why was that I, I always realized that just a little bit of improvement from the manufacturers could make more difference in my dealership than pretty much anything I could do. I always viewed a really small business like a local motorcycle shop as being like a bug. I mean, a bug does not have a whole lot of uh, control over its environment. And we're all just scurrying around until somebody steps on us someday. And uh, I just thought, man, if I could just get these guys to understand uh, a small thing here, uh, we could make a real big difference. And sometimes they were details of a model I wasn't much of a guy to say, you know, here's a new model that I think you should build. Uh, I, I didn't have that kind of insight. But, uh, uh, and then some of it would be, you know, gee, just take care of the customers better, do the warranty better. Um, one of the things I like to say to them is there's three ways of doing a warranty. One is to spend the money, fix the bike, know that it's going to cost you, but know that you got a really good chance of keeping a happy customer. The second way is to tell him to go to hell, not spend the money, know that you're going to make him mad, know that he's probably going to tell other people, but at least it didn't cost you money. And then there's the third way, which is to grumble and and delay and make people mad and then eventually spend the money and fix the bike anyway. So in other words, you spend all the money, but you didn't keep the customer happy. And we always know the, the, the old saying that, you know, a happy customer tells three and an unhappy customer tells, you know, eight or 10 or something like that. Well, and I think, um, you know, that's one thing that always stood out to me about Moto, Moto International was the individual personality that was associated to it. And I know here, you know, I'm a guy in my mid-30s, and uh, I guess as far as the motorcycling world is concerned, that is trending towards the the younger age. Although, when I look in the mirror, the gray hairs are starting to tell a different story. But uh, I, I... At least I, you have here. Yeah, right, there you go. That's right. <laughs> the uh the the head is either half hairy or half empty i guess right so that's uh how you how all how you look at it it's either half salt or half pepper right there you go yeah <laughs> but uh you know i'm i'm a guy who always is kind of consistently saying that uh you know we talk about the death knell of of the motorcycle industry but i'm always just my mind is hey we just need to go more personality oriented and i think uh you know obviously moto international you've you've been retired for a few years but i think of that 
kind of that small uh, hometown feel where guys know your name and have a real love for motorcycles and kind of have a culture built around it. I see that as, in my opinion, as the future more so than, you know, kind of the model that we've seen maybe in the last two decades or so. Do you, do you feel like that's a, a trend that maybe, I mean, would you encourage that just as a motorcycle uh, fanatic or are you kind of just like, Hey man, I'm, I'm out of the game. I don't know what to expect. Well, I, I can never divorce myself from it. And it's always interesting to me to go into shops and I'm always kind of rating my, uh, my feeling about how I'm treated and all that. Um, I mean, when you're a larger shop, it's hard to do that. In fact, I remember when Tom first started with uh, Soundwriter doing the uh, People's Choice Awards in 2002, uh, the first year that he did it, Moto International ran uh, won every single one of them except one. We were the favorite for overall, the favorite for sales, the favorite for parts and accessories, the favorite for service. What we didn't win was fancy showroom. And I took that as a badge of honor. I mean, of course, Ducati Seattle won it. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, we we're all just amazed that somebody had a, a fireplace. Yeah, you didn't have a fireplace, man. Yeah. <laughs> and But you see, and, and then after you know, we did the same thing in 2004, and then after that, we got fewer awards. And Tom said, well, it seems like the smaller shops that can be more personal get those awards the most and and maybe in a way Moto International had grown up and become sort mm-hmm. of a, a big normalish shop. I, I could see that in a way. I mean, you know, how is uh, Linwood Motoplex going to bring the same uh, personalness that um, uh, Vespa Saddle does or something like that? Sure. So, I mean, there's an evolution and, and maybe, I mean, I just read the other day that Harley is going to be producing fewer bikes and, and, trying to consolidate their business in some way that I don't even understand. And maybe it's an understanding that the business is smaller now. It's like when we had the big uh, um, recession starting in 2008, my vision was to survive so that I could have a bigger piece of the future, smaller pie. So it's kind of the same situation now. I mean, the, the motorcycle industry is apparently shrinking. I know that um, the number of, vehicles purchased in the u.s in 2007 i think that was the last high peak for the industry was 1.1 or 1.2 million and by a few years ago it was 550,000. so it, it really is half the 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 sales that it used to be so you know i don't envy the the big corporate stores that how do you downsize how do you how do you adjust your business to selling 50 percent if you've got some big mega store, you know, what's happening now in part is that there's fewer dealers and then the ones that are remaining are taking on more and more uh, franchises. So that's one way that you do it. But what you're saying is, is it, it's an interesting idea. I mean, there's got to be a change of strategy. Um, there are still people buying two wheelers and some of them are novel new things. Uh, electric bicycles are just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing this amalgamation where what's emerging are somewhere between bicycles and motorcycles. Uh, I've seen some electric dirt bikes that are fantastic and, and they're way lighter than a dirt bike that we think of with an, with an engine in it. Um, they're, they're like a, a heavy bicycle. So, you know, there's, there's, there's an, emerging business here somewhere but it's it's so new and it's it's very volatile i I can't imagine being in the electric bike business right now because the technology changes so fast that you can have a winner one day and you can be obsolete the next Mm -hmm. yeah you know and i i think that's one of the things for people who are maybe under the age of 40 just in general regards to technology for motorsports development is that uh not only does it, you know, it changes, but we've also hit sort of a, a performance peak in that, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, during your, in your book about the transition from, was it a, uh, a Honda trail 90? I can't remember. I know you started, I think on a 90 CC as yeah. a kid. Trail and, 90, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the progression to, oh my God, a 175, like I might be able to take that on a highway and then, oh, look, there's two fifties out. Right. But at a certain point, um, you know, several decades ago now, a thousand CC, 1200 CC is, is 1200 CC and 140 horsepower is 140 horsepower. If you can't ride it, uh, already to that skill level, you know, 
a little bit more performance isn't going to do much for the average rider. Well, yeah, exactly, Derek. I mean, uh, from when I started, bikes did not have that tremendous performance. I mean, even big bikes hardly went over 100 miles an hour. And and as I mentioned in the book, when we're all enthralled with the Honda CB750, because in 1969, they had four cylinders in a row and a disc brake and all this stuff. But but it's still pretty simple engineering. And at the same time, we, we had the first men on the moon. So, right. uh, you know, motorcycles seem just way behind in their engineering. Well, and, so and now, yeah. let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to have a man on the moon again, okay? And when we do that, we're going to have 140 horsepower Trail 90 to go along with that. But <laughs> with an it, electric motor in it. Yeah. But, I was say, let's make that in Newtons. What's yeah. the electric equivalent? But in the meantime, we're going to take a little break, and uh, then we'll be right back in a few minutes with part two of our interview. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in North Bend, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from, whether you're shopping for a used cruiser, sport tour, dual sport, adventure, dirt, sport bike, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hi, I'm Carol, and I'm from Olympia, and one of my favorite pavement rides is Highway 47 from Klatskanai on south. Hi, this is Lee Parks with Total Control Training, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hello, this is Tom. We had a little technical glitch on the second part of the interview, so rather than hold up the entire June show, we are going to bring the second half of the interview to you on the July show, and we hope you enjoy it. Well, cruising right along here on this June edition of the Sound Rider Show. And you know, just like all the months past, we wouldn't leave you without some tips and tricks. Uh, Tom, what uh, kind of vision do you have for this month? <laughs> Tunnel? No. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was recently uh, looking through some of the marketing uh, PR that I get, and uh, someone's talking about a whole brand new line of riding glasses with transitional lenses. And I just wanted to remind or notify all our riders and readers that wear full-face helmets with shields on that when you put sunglasses under there, if they have transitional lenses, they don't work because the shield typically is coated with a UV 400 and a UV 400 coating stops the ultraviolet light from getting in and setting off the transitional lenses. So choose your eyewear carefully if you're wearing a full-face helmet with a face shield. Yeah, definitely good to test, uh, test out those combinations, right, before you head out, particularly on a long tour because you don't want to find yourself uh, – you know, down the highway in a position where you're like, you don't want to turn back and you feel compromised because of the gear selection. Yeah. If you come upon some transitional lenses being sold to the shop, uh, take them outside, hold them up to the sun and notice how they work and then put them between your face shield and the sun and notice how they don't change at all. Yeah. Great, great tip. You can never under, uh, you know, anything that is, uh, Performance or comfort comfort related is is definitely definitely worth evaluating and testing out before you you head out onto the highway. And and I don't know how many of our riders readers actually drive cars, but the same holds true. In a car, transitional lenses do not change because the windshield, by W or uh, USDOT standards, has a UB four hundred baked into it. Yeah, another a bonus tip here on the uh, did you an edition of the Sound Rider. Yeah, show. for all our drivers, non-riders. 
That's right, which I'm sure we have a lot of people who listen to the podcast in the car, or they, at least they will when they return to uh, commuting again. <laughs> there you go. So what do you got? Yeah, so you know, I had mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier in the show that uh, a lot of uh, motorcycle shops are looking for used motorcycles. So if you are in the market for a new motorcycle – or maybe even you just have uh, that project bike that uh, – not a full-on restoration project, but something that you've been kind of fiddling around with thinking, man, i got to get this back running, but you don't have the time or the knowledge or you don't want to deal with it. Well, push, pull, or drag. A lot of folks are uh, out there ready to uh, make you some deals on trade-ins, I'm sure. So keep that in mind as you, as you shop around a little bit. Combine that with a lot of these great financing office, uh, offers. And if you're in a position to uh, to get a new motorcycle and you've got one that you want to unload while you do that, this may be the time to do it. I have two I want to unload. <laughs> we still have the old Honda. And uh, what else are you going to unload? Uh, I'm going to I want to unload the NX250 and I want to oh, unload sure. the SL350. Okay. Well, that uh, I feel like that 350. I feel like some of these hipster cafe racers will want to. Yeah, I think some of that, that coffee culture crowd is going to want go. that yeah. SL350. Yeah, and then uh, the NX250, that's a great uh, starter bike for somebody. That good little commuter. To, yeah, good commuter or somebody who wants to just even get into the uh, the backcountry a little bit, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, you can go off-road with it. It's got the off-road tires. I think they're Bridgestones. Anyhow. Uh, yeah, where, where could we take a look at a picture of those bikes? Uh, maybe on the Soundrider used bike pages. There you go. There you go. Soundrider.com slash used bikes. They're all out there. So, uh, I think that's our June show, huh? I think so. Yeah, I think we did it. And, uh, June is kind of a long month. So, uh, we will try to gather as much pertinent information as possible out on the roadways and bring it back to you for July. All right. We'll see you back here then. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.